So today on Team Futurism, I am meeting with Micah Redding, who is the president of the Christian Transhumanism Foundation. Is that what you're called? Christian Transhumanism uh, Foundation? Christian Transhumanist Association. Yeah. That's right. Okay, that sounded wrong when I said it. It's one of those things I've only <laughs> read. I've never said out loud. <laughs> so, uh, and I've, uh, you know, I've been aware of Micah for a while. I've been writing about transhumanism for the last couple of years. Uh, mostly on my Medium account, I think also like for Aereo Magazine, a couple places. But Micah's name tends to come up in this world just because, and this is something that I've written about, transhumanism, which is kind of like a geeky, nerdy Silicon Valley tech thing. Uh, there's there's a component to it that does have a, like a spiritual side to it in the sense that transhumanism kind of fundamentally is about life extension and overcoming death and disease, these sorts of things, which kind of historically, anytime you're ever talking about overcoming death, there usually is a religious component to it. Yeah, that's and right. people mm -hmm. can kind of be forgiven for thinking that transhumanism itself is kind of a religious movement. Uh, Zoltan Ishvan has talked about this a little bit. He's kind of done a little bit of reach out to the, the Christian community. Um, yeah. He's a, a, a U.S. transhumanism president guy of a few years back. But yeah, so this is, I, I mean, I have, you know, been critical of the Christian transhumanism movement, uh, just because I come from the humanist side of things, the more materialism side of things. But uh, I have some goofy views about this too. I have some funny views that I think will be kind of interesting to, to bounce off you. But for the most part, I mean, I wanna get your side of the story, see where you're coming from. And why don't we kind of just like start with like your background in this movement and what got you interested with it? Yeah, uh, so I actually got interested. So I, I grew up um, for for people who aren't familiar with, with my world. I grew up in um, as a preacher's kid in a, um, uh, a religious group called the Churches of Christ, which most most people would kind of identify as a, a sort of fundamentalist or uh, certainly conservative group of, of people. And um, uh, one of the nice things about uh, that, or one of the big takeaways I had from growing up in it, though, was that this idea of studying for yourself. And so I took that really seriously. I took it more seriously than my Sunday school teachers might be expected. And um, that led me to really kind of, you know, dig into science and philosophy and technology and, and the kind of larger history of Christianity. Um, through, you know, through some well-known people, people like C.S. Lewis, people like um, th theologians like N.T. Wright and, and people like G.K. Chesterton and so forth, kind of first exposed me to some of the larger aspects of, of Christianity. And, and what that did is it kind of led me through a, um, uh, just kind of rethinking everything about my faith, everything about religion. And I came to see that actually Christianity was really invested in the body and the material world. And because of these things, um, you really couldn't separate out, you know, science and technology and, uh, and all these things. These were actually part of the, the material world and thus part of the Christian story, part of the Christian narrative. And that's really when I first started encountering like uh transhumanist communities in the 90s and um and so i started you know kind of engaging and reading certainly a lot um and you know most people i interacted with probably um you know there's just a range of, of reactions to 
me showing up there as a Christian in those spaces. But, um, but one of the reactions was the idea of like, well, aren't you as a Christian, like fundamentally um, vested in getting out of the world, getting out of your body, you know, being anti longevity and life extension and anti science and all these kinds of things. And um, for me, the answer was no. And in fact, my understanding of the Christian tradition is that no, that's that's not what Christianity is about. Although it has often presented itself that way in um, you know the kind of American Christianity that I you know I saw growing up. So anyway, that's that's how I got started in being involved in in transhumanism. I really recognized it as a secular kind of counterpart to the Christianity that I understood that I was coming to understand in my own kind of faith journey. So right now, when you drop the name transhumanism, kind of to anyone, it makes people possibly feel a little bit uncomfortable. This is why I actually, you know, consider myself a futurist rather than a transhumanist. Um, yeah. Futurism, kind of like the broader label, right? And so I just, you know, I just say futurist rather than transhumanist. Although there, there is like an agenda to transhumanism, so that that term does absolutely make sense. But when you say transhumanism in a Christian context to Christian folks who maybe are maybe, you know, skeptical of things like stem cell research or uh, like any medicalization efforts for longevity, let's say, uh, does, does that, does that word, like, is it like a dirty word to them? Are they scared of it? I mean, what's like, what's that, or, or am I reading too much into that? Yeah, most people are just not going to know the word and they're going to okay. try to parse it and they're going to say trans, and they're going to say, right. okay, are we talking about transgender stuff? And then, um, you know, and, and so they're going to try to like pull it apart and try to understand what we're going with. Or, or a lot of people just focus on it as, as the humanism part. They're, they're like, oh, so it's a humanist kind of movement, something like that. Um, and so most people don't know really what to make of that term. Um, the, there are groups of Christians who know a lot about that term and, um, and some of them are um, coming from, uh, they know a lot about it because they've identified it as a kind of boogeyman um, that, uh, you know, that they are super afraid of. That's, that's not the, the community that I grew up in or that I circulate in. It's, a, it's more of a, I would say, like an extreme kind of fringe of Christianity. And yet th there are lots of people in that fringe uh, in certain places and, you know, who, um, when the Christian Transhumanist Association had our first conference, uh, there was another conference going on at the same time um, that was a Christianity and transhumanism conference, uh, but it was anti, right, like Christians against transhumanism. And their conference was um, easily, um, you know, 10 times as big as ours. Um, right. So um, you can you can imagine uh, how <laughs> that that in many circles fear sell cells, right? Like, um, but but I think for the majority, the mainstream of Christianity, it's just not a very known thing. There are areas like the Vatican and, and so forth who spend a lot of energy focused on thinking about some of this stuff in a in a serious way. Um, you know that they have their own. Um, you know, astronomers and so forth that are thinking about science in a, a deep way. And so they, you know, they, people like that are going to be familiar with it in a different um, sense. 
but I'd say just for the majority of people, it just doesn't doesn't mean anything. And so then you have to like talk about what what it might actually entail. That's interesting to me because I mean, I grew up Christian. If I were still a Christian today, I do think that I would very much be drawn to this movement because there's something a little bit subversive about it in the way that that standard Christianity just just kind of isn't. And so it's it's kind of like cool in that sense, right? Uh, you do, I think, take it further than that, though. Uh, for example, um, you had this slogan on your website. I'm not sure if it's still there, but uh, you say that Christian transhumanism is the future of faith. So you make this argument that it's not just like another alternate way of doing the Christian experience. It's the future of the faith. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So um, ultimately, you know, from a Christian perspective, I, I'm going to say there's a um, there's a, a set of um, concerns and responsibilities that are really at the heart of, of faith. And so from Genesis 1, first page of the Bible, you have uh, the creation story, but I think more importantly, you have the account of what humanity is. And, and it says that humanity is created in the image and likeness of God, to be like God and to participate in the work of creation as God does. And so, um, you know, this is this, uh, you know, we call it the creation mandate. Um, it, it's a calling to engage the material world as God engages the material world as um, as a creator, as a uh, as someone who blesses and names and categorizes and uplifts creation, right? And so that concern means if you're a Christian, you can't escape that that calling. In fact, that calling is core to the whole Bible, the whole scripture, everything that happens in scripture is like playing out of that core calling for humanity to participate in the creative work of God. So, yeah, so, um, so when people say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm not interested in science, I'm not interested in technology, or, you know, something like this, uh, you know, my, my thought is, you haven't um, properly uh, understood, like the full span of what the faith actually calls you to. <laughs> and so the, the, the future of Christianity is actually engaging with this core calling, right? Like Christianity doesn't really have a coherent future, I don't believe, outside of engaging with like this thing that's really at the heart of what faith is. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the sense in which I would say it's the future of faith. It's, you know, I think looking forward 50 or 100 years or, or whatever, you know, a thousand years, I fully expect there to be um, you know, a Catholic church, an Orthodox church, Protestant churches, maybe something else we haven't invented yet. And yet I think they will all be um, transhumanist. Um, and they will all, in fact, see that as core to their faith and say, of course, we were always transhumanist. We didn't always know the term, but that's what we've been all along in the deepest sense. And that's what we're um, that's what we are, you know, in invested in, in some sense. Yeah, it's been said that one reason Christianity has survived so well over the years is that it has this capacity to adapt to the times and to, I mean, right now, uh, back in the day, you know, Christianity wasn't exactly the most pro-science thing. Uh, nowadays, Christians very, you know, are, are very 
adamant to say, oh, you know, look at all of these scientists who are Christians and leading their field. Not only that, here's why it makes sense to still have this worldview, because I, I've heard it said, this is maybe C.S. Lewis talking point, that uh, God made the world so that it all made sense. If it didn't make sense, it wouldn't make sense to be a scientist because there would be so much chaos, whereas there's not chaos, there's order when you look out into the world. And so that is, right. you know, it's natural to be a scientist, to look and appreciate the order and the beauty of the world. This is where I do think it gets really interesting and exciting uh, and a little sci-fi even when you do start thinking about the future of, of uh, you know, humanity with the layers of some of these transhumanist concepts on top of it, because I'm thinking in particular of Frank J. Tipler, who I notice I believe is on the board of your organization. He has this idea that when the singularity happens, you might have to spell this out for me a little bit, a little bit more, but it's something to the fact of when the singularity happens, we all will merge with God. We will be one with God in like this uh, energy sense, in the sense of, of matter and energy. It's not some like spiritually thing that you might imagine when you're reading the scriptures, but it actually is this like actual in the universe physical manifestation of us being one with God as one energy, life form, and source. Can, can you tell me a little bit about his theories? Because I, I do find it very fascinating. Yeah, so probably, like, to be precise, I would have to, like, unpack some of, some of that stuff. Um, so his, his general picture, which has um, integrated the idea of, like, the technological singularity, um, but it ultimately is about the kind of far future of the cosmos. And so this this theory of Tipler's was, he I think he formulated it in the 80s. He first kind of published about it, maybe the early 90s. A book called The Physics of Immortality came out, I think, in 94. And um, and I read that, uh, and that was one of the, the ways I, I got into uh, this uh, and in, interested in this. Um, and basically he says okay what would what would it take for life to survive forever and so he imagines of course um you know the the planet uh will eventually be consumed by the sun if nothing you know changes um so uh, life is going to have to leave this planet and then and so he talks about the technology that that would allow life to leave this planet and then um and then it's going to have to expand outward and it's going to expand at some fraction of the speed of light and eventually it's going to encompass the the galaxy and then galaxies beyond and beyond that and so forth and what he envisions is that at some ultimate um at some ultimate point of time that life having spread across the entire visible universe will then be able to coordinate its activities to actually shape the universe. And this is where um, we, you know, there's a lot of specula speculative uh, physics at this point. We, we know the universe is accelerating outward. We don't exactly know what's possible. But if, the, if life could actually um, change the shape of the universe and bring it back, so that it collapses in on itself, then he worked out a scenario where as life is kind of converging on this omega point of the cosmos, uh, returning to a, a singularity, the amount of energy available goes to infinity, the amount of computation happening goes to infinity, the amount of uh, intelligent processing and control over the universe goes to infinity in the, in finite time so that as you reach that kind of final singularity, you've actually lived an infinite amount of time uh, 
um, the, in, in another sense, the time just keeps stretching out because you go faster and faster and faster the closer you get to it. And so in that, in that kind of convergence of all life in this ultimate um, kind of connected unity, yes, you have the entire universe being encompassed and controlled by life, which knows everything there is to know, which examines everything uh, and discovers everything there is to discover, all the way to um, regenerating all life forms that have ever lived. And, um, and then uh, bringing them into, you know, this ever expanding, ever increasing uh, capacity uh, for life. And um, so that's, that's Tip, Tipler's kind of ultimate speculation. And um, when you kind of just generalize that a little bit, then the question is ultimately like, when life kind of re reaches beyond our current framework, when life expands beyond the planet and adopts new forms, um, technological, digital, you know, artificial intelligence, whatever, um, what kinds of life forms are going to emerge from this? And if you believe that there are strong reasons for life to cooperate over these kinds of scales, rather than to, uh, to just fight with each other, if you believe that there are reasons for life to cooperate and collaborate, then you see it as a kind of convergent um, intelligence, a kind of convergent society, a kind of convergent organism, a kind of convergent intelligence that we all would participate in to some degree. And that those kind of possibilities unlock um, all kinds of scenarios that look increasingly like um, traditional religious scenarios. And I think that's where uh, a lot of that discussion um, uh, jumps into some interesting places. Yeah, I would really recommend uh, Tipler has a, I believe it's a TED Talk, anyway, a fairly long video on YouTube that's quite fascinating. It's very interesting to, to listen to. Uh, it really does jump into science fiction. I mean, it gets it gets pretty quickly into the world of science fiction, which, to be fair, all of the uh, humanist transhumanists are, are very much, you know, treading in the waters of science fiction. But, like, yeah. in, a, in a way... Uh, we're, we're living in such a science fiction world right now. If you look up what's happening with, uh, you know, CRISPR or just, you know, <laughs> Elon Musk's Neuralink, or I mean, there, there's so many technologies right now that even just walking around with a cell phone is, is kind of ridiculous when you realize the power that you hold in your hands. You know, people have said pretty often just having a cell phone makes us transhuman because we have yeah. offboarded so much of our cognition into this little device and effectively, it's it's like a second brain for ourselves, and it's it's our, it's our memory and so many things. Like that's, it's it's just like a different way of looking at it. But that's true. Yeah. Like that is it's real yeah. and it's true and it's it's happening now. And we do have digital selves, right? Where if if your uh, Twitter account if you get kicked off Twitter, you kind of like lost a part of yourself because yeah. your memories yeah. are there. Uh, like literally parts of your soul, in a sense, are kind of like on these dumb platforms, right? Yeah. Which is just super interesting, but. You know, how comfortable are you, just in general, but maybe maybe speaking as as a Christian, are there any technologies that make you nervous or uncomfortable? Any sort of, you know, destroying the body and merging with machines? Is there anything along that continuum that makes you a little bit uncomfortable? Given that, for example, you know, very, very biblical concept is that the body is sacred, right? This is something I've written a little bit about, is, is how I, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's... Con 
consistent to say that the body is sacred plus being a transhumanist. I think that consciousness is sacred. That would be what I would say gets complicated on my side in the sense that our our consciousness is so closely entangled with like our gut microbiome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not like you can't just do away with the body that easily. It, it, in a sense, like, you know, more and more research is coming out that like depression is tied to what's happening in your gut rather than right. your brain, you, you know? So it's, you can't easily say, oh, we can just discard the, the body and become digital beings. It's, it's so much more complicated. But in any case, like, how do you sit with some of those concepts with you know, maybe altering the body outside of recognition. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing fundamental in, in the sense of like, okay, this technology is off limits or something like that. Um, I, I, a lot of people will ask, you know, how far is too far? This kind of question. And my answer is always, um, there is no, there is no uh, uh, degree which is too far. It's always the question of what direction. Um, so what direction are we headed in? Uh, not, you know, how, how far? Because um, we want to go, you know, in, in some sense, Christianity innately calls you to go too far, calls you to go to infinity. Um, how, how good should we be? Well, uh, unlimited, right? How long should we live? Unlimited. That's the prospect of eternal life, right? That, that life is good to, with no boundaries. And so we always want to go um, in an unlimited direction. It's just a question of which direction are we going in? So um, when I evaluate something, like if I were to evaluate, you know, a particular surgery or something like that, I'm going to look at a lot of things, um, you know, what risks, how easy is it to reverse if there's a mistake? You know, this is what I would think about with Neuralink, right? Like, so, okay, it's a minor surgery. Uh, so that's a, fir a first thing. Okay. Maybe it's not major from a physical standpoint. So, okay. Um, then what happened, like how, you know, how easy is it to reverse if something goes wrong? Um, if I become dependent on it, do I then um, become dependent on uh, the Neuralink company? And what's the relationship that's going to, like, that's going to be entailed by that? And am I, you know, like, so at every stage, I want to think through, like, what kinds of choices am I making about, uh, my own agency, um, my own sense of, um, of development, like character and, and, and so forth. Where am I going? Where is this leading me? Is this making me more dependent, more independent, more dependent on people I, I want to be dependent on, you know, or, or otherwise? And um, so I, I, I would say the body is sacred, but not in the sense of... Um, you can't do anything to it. It's sacred in the sense that it is our, our best um, and um, most direct tool. And so, but that, you know, doesn't mean, um, and when I say tool, I, I mean that in a very honoring way as well. It's, it's a tool that, that allows us to communicate and connect with people in profound ways. Um, but when we need a surgery, we cut it open, right? Um, <laughs> and that's, that's also part of the sacredness of the body. You're recognizing that the body serves a function, and in order to serve that function, it needs to be um, dealt with in this specific way, right? So we do cut it open. We do um, change things. We do repair things. We do um, work to uh, reshape it. You know, even if you're doing exercise or dietary interventions or something like this, you're, you're making choices about how to change your body. And um, so if we imagined going to like a totally digital substrate, my concern wouldn't be like, 
is is my body made of carbon or silicon? Um, my concern would be, is this allowing me to communicate um, in a very high bandwidth way and connect in a very high bandwidth way and engage immersively in a high bandwidth way with the world around me and people around me and, and things like this? That, that would be the way I would frame those questions. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're going to have um, – we're going to have tough choices in those uh, in those areas, right? Um, and so there's not going to be any hard and fast rules. Um, there's going to be uh, an idea of like, how are we orienting this towards our growth as both individuals and as as people connected to the communities that we are connected to? Right, right. So, I mean, you know, kind of inherently, a lot of these concepts become political pretty quickly. And when I'm scrolling through your website, I do, you know, one section jumped out at me and it was politics and society. If I can read a quote from this and the, the first part, you know, of this quote uh, that I'll, I'll just kind of skip over, but it says that we're in the age of superabundance is about to or may occur. So, and this is something that, that I think is, you know, one of the most exciting things happening in the world right now is we, we, you know, if we, do, if we play our cards right, we might actually end up with an abundance of things like energy, right? We're, we're very close to, uh, the technologies exist, they're just very expensive, you know, nuclear energy is, is kind of like here, but it's just expensive to roll out, that sort of thing. But we're, we're on the brink of having an abundance of clean, natural energy. Same with food, same with a lot of things. Again, if we play our cards right, we could have a very bright and beautiful future ahead of us. Then it becomes like a political question of how do you distribute all of that abundance? And mm -hmm. this this uh, paragraph jumped out to me on your website. Again, this was under Politics and Society. Your website says, our political system must evolve. We should strive for societies with a strong safety net and a foundation that poverty and lack of opportunity is unlimited, uh, eliminated, whilst also constraining how high our most productive can fly. That sounds pretty pretty left-wing to me, pretty, I'm not saying that you're not left-wing, I have no idea where politics are, but to me, I mean, that that would maybe, you know, you know, rile up the, just the nerves of a lot of, like, political conservatives or Christian conservatives. Do you consider yourself, you know, with, with this view, like, sort of a, you know, socialist type of guy, or what, how do you, how do you see this in the world of politics? Okay, so I, I, I need to do a, a fact check here, uh, and, and we just put that, that up, so I want to make sure, uh, so there may be um, uh, typos and so forth, but it should say without constraining how high um, uh, people can fly, as, as uh, my la latest recollection of it. <laughs> oh, but, you know, it says, uh, whilst not constraining how high yeah. our most productive can fly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I might have misread that. <laughs> so um, I, I know, so I didn't write that. Uh, I know the person who did, and I'm pretty sure he would not be uh, happy with being uh, called a socialist. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and um, so the, uh, the, the fact is, um, you know, within the Christian Transhumanist Association, we have just a wide variety of different viewpoints, and yeah. um, and that's both religious, right, across the Christian spectrum, um, and it's also um, it's also political. And um, my hope is that in the political area, what we agree can agree on is like um, the concerns. 
um, and what we're going to disagree on and hopefully like help to like debate and, and work out is um, a better understanding of solutions, right? So um, hopefully we do build a society that where like we have abundant energy, we have unlimited um, access to, to food, clothing, shelter, um, and, and all the kinds of tools that um, would allow um, someone to be, you know, to develop uh, their agency and their creativity and their ability to contribute meaningfully to the world. Now, do we get that, that there from a, um, you know, from like a universal basic income proposal or, you know, from, from something else. And that's going to be a debated issue. And, um, but I hope everybody can, can agree that um, eliminating poverty and eliminating um, hunger and eliminating various forms of deprivation will be a good thing. And that's a thing that we can work on together and work towards um, solutions together. And, and, you know, part of the reason for, talking about this is that, um, you know, we believe that technology is a big part of those solutions, right? Um, so we do want a, a safety net for uh, people. and We do want to protect, you know, people and, and so forth. The question how, though, does not necessarily eliminate any particular political perspective, as long as you recognize that you know, it would be better for us to live in a world without, uh, without poverty, without hunger, you know, those kinds of things. And it's very core to Christianity. You know, the, um, Jesus, um, you know, very early on preaches, um, you know, it, uh, John the Baptist sends a, a messenger and says, you know, what, um, you know, are you the Messiah or are we supposed to wait for someone else? And Jesus says, well, look around, like the, the blind are being uh, healed, the deaf hear, uh, the lame walk poor are being fed, like these, these kinds of things are signs of the uh, kingdom of God at work. And so they are things that, um, that we do care about, um, regardless of um, the specifics that, of how that works out. Like, I would want to keep that in focus. I don't know if that answered your question. That was <laughs> it kind of does. I mean, I, I do nicely get the sense that you have arranged your organization so that it's welcoming to people of all political perspectives, which is kind of nice. There's nothing about it that like, you know, turns me off or, or turns other versions of myself off when I used to be quite a bit more conservative. I appreciate that. I think that, you know, it's, it is such a, uh, this is, this is dabbling in a world that is so dependent upon like technology and just where it takes us. I think it needs to be a little politically flexible. I also think that, anything in the transhumanist world, it kind of draws in folks who are a little bit of the libertarian bent, whether they leave conservative or, or liberal, probably just because there's a little bit of, uh, you know, pro-technology, pro-let-me-do-what-I-want, <laughs> you know, angle to this. Yeah. And that's very much like where Zoltan Istvan, you know, comes on the spectrum where he's yeah. like, like adamantly uh, libertarian, even though like, if you talk to him any given day, he kind of sounds pretty lefty or, or pretty, pretty like, you know, pro-American rights on the right. You know what I mean? Right. So that, that, uh, I mean, I think that that's a very fair and rational position to take. Um, I, I can't, uh, have you 
you know, on the call without getting a little bit into my goofy perspectives on this. I want to run some ideas past you. And and this is fun for me because it directly conflicts with the uh, Christian transhumanism. <laughs> and yeah, on, online, I've, you know, I, I do some like pro-atheism things online. And I've, I've debate, debated uh, Fazale Rana like on these these points. So this, yeah. this is something I just have a lot of fun doing. Um <clears throat> I wrote this article just on Medium, uh, Satanic Transhumanism, The Future of Reason. I wrote this a couple of years ago. Bizarrely, it's like my most popular article on Medium, <laughs> um, which is just like hilarious to me. I, I have no idea why, but every week it gets a couple hundred views, which is like, like yeah. why? Who's reading this thing? But in any case, it's fun. Uh, so, so this perspective, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, this perspective kind of came to me by dabbling in a little bit of the world of transhumanism plus the world of Satanism, of all things. And I'm not like an adamant Satanist, just like I'm not a, necessarily an adamant transhumanist. I just think that they're cool concepts, and I think that it's, it's, you need to pay attention to them if you're going to be like a modern person into tech, uh, which I am. Um, but so, so I have this goofy view that one transhumanism, it's it's kind of inherently occultish. It comes from the world of, like it's, it's rooted in Zoroasterism, if you go far back enough, which is this view that God isn't gonna solve all, all of our problems. Um, we need to take the reins on our own fate and create heaven on earth in a sense. And then, you know, there's some roots of this also with, uh, you know, the, the great God that gets fire from the gods and comes down and, and takes it to, to humanity. And that's, we're we're kind of like running with these concepts, too, that despite the gods, we are going to take over our own fate and we are going to become um, gods ourselves. There's there, there's some like, you know, obviously these are just ancient stories, but there are elements of this yeah. that are rooted in the in uh, transhumanism up to like the modern age where you have someone like Jack Parsons, uh, the the engineer who created, you know, rocket fuel and, and the first jet engine, I believe. Yeah. He was like deeply occultish, but de and deeply wanted to overcome death and these sorts of things. These are all like very, very like out there people, right? Out there yeah. views. Um, because of the nature of transhumanism, where it's a little bit occultish and it's a little bit kind of inherently religious, it's like overcoming death. That's like a theme of it. Um, it does have these, you know, religious symbolism elements just, just tied to it. My argument for why Satanism makes sense as the, the, the layer of symbolism to put over it rather than Christianity is that if you go back to the biblical stories, one reading of like Genesis is that, you know, God is the tyrant and God says, you know, only obey me and never, you know, look into the world and discover your own truth, only get truth from me. Whereas Satan is like, no, like Adam and Eve, you should go explore the world, discover your own truth and be free on your own terms. And so he leads the way, you know, symbolically, you know, no Satanist actually believes in Satan, of course, but symbolically leads the way of like, be your own champion and find truth for yourself and overcome death on your own terms, not like through this God being tyrant figure in this story. So that could be used, Satanism, you know, could be used as a layering of mythology, the layering of quote unquote, like religion uh, that makes sense with the transhumanism movement. Okay, a little bit of wacky theory. I think it's a lot of fun. Let me throw it at you. And what do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, it's funny. I um talking with a family member a while back um, about what I what I believe. 
he he listened to me and he said that just sounds like that's satanism and he was an adherent of of um, satanism at the time i don't know whether he still is but but he was um you know he was looking into it and kind of buying into it and and he was like but this is you know your your version of christianity is is um you know to him was um what he understood satanism to be now i i think um that there's some so I'll, I'll make some divisions. I don't think my my version of Christianity is actually Satanism, and I'll tell you why. Um, so the uh, in, in Genesis one, God says, um, "I'm going to make humanity to be like God." Right? He says, "I'm going to make a human in my image, and this human will be like God and and rule in the same way that I do." In Genesis um, two, you actually get. Um, them starting to play this out, um, God actually is kind of leading humanity into this work of of being like God and so forth. But there's this this prohibition of the trees, and and so in Genesis three you get um, the serpent comes along and says, "Oh, the reason there's this prohibition is because God doesn't actually want you to be like God. So go ahead and take this this fruit, and then you'll become like God, and then." Um, you know, against his wishes. And so the serpent is essentially saying, um, you know, the promise God made you that you would become like God, that's a lie. So you're going to have to take take it into your own hands and make it happen, right? And, but um, as a Christian, I'm going to go with, okay, it wasn't a lie. They were really supposed to become like God. This is really the trajectory of humanity. Humanity is really in the process of of becoming like God. And then you know, as we follow the biblical story through Christ, we actually attain to union with God and um, and are able to be transformed into the glory and knowledge and power of God. And that's the 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 culmination of the biblical story. And this is not just my reading of it. This is the Orthodox, uh, particularly the Eastern Orthodox um, interpretation of it. It's the um, if you dig into theology, it's the 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 core kind of theology that often gets, you know, um, hushed because it's not uh, helpful for keeping kids uh, <laughs> uh, in line, maybe. Um, but, it, but so it's maybe not the one that's that you hear a, a lot, but it's, it's been there for thousands of years. It's the core theology, we are to become um, the likeness of God. And that is, I think, in every way, shape and form. And it's a process. And this is the thing where I would differ, I think that Satanism misses, um, at least my understanding of it, is um, this idea of, okay, I'm going to do it on my own terms, I'm going to take it into my own hands and kind of make myself into um, a god uh, kind of independently, it runs up against a real problem in the world, which is nothing happens independently. Like we always, the only way we ever do anything is collaborate with others, right? Um, if I uh, catch a disease or sickness today, like tomorrow I'm going to be looking to a healthcare system and doctors and, and you know, scientific research that has been done that is able to address the thing that I, you know, have need of, right? So um, no matter what I do, no matter how much I can, I can achieve or contribute, I'm never going to be able to be wholly capable of 
being independent. It's always going to be collaborative. It's always going to be um, part of a relationship with a larger community and world. And so Christianity, I think, I think Satanism, uh, at least in the way that it's, it's kind of presented as this kind of radical individualism, um, doesn't allow that. In fact, the, the way we become godlike, the way we, you know, uh, attain all of that power is actually collaboratively. And I think that's the, the core idea of Christianity is that we do have to collaborate. We do have to work together. We do have to join ourselves to communities of other people. That's how we attain to being like God. So uh, explain to me how, if you are a Christian, right, and you have a medical issue, um, you're, you believe in science, so you're obviously going to speak to your doctor. What exactly is the role in prayer, um, of prayer? Because you still hear all the time people who are like, oh, you know, you don't need to go to the doctor, you know, certain sects of Christianity, just just pray about it. I mean, I see this like literally all the time online. They didn't pray hard enough. Or you hear, you hear about people all the time like, oh, you, you know, he has this drug addiction he can't get over because like he just needs to pray about it, you know, that sort of thing. Right. What What is the practical role of prayer in your view if you think that like fundamentally science is going to be the thing that solves cancer, I'm sure, and all these other ailments of the human body. What 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 good is prayer? And are those people, are they like bad Christians because they believe in prayer, prayer in your sense? Or, or are they, you know, is that to their benefit? Like, does God smile upon that because they, they have more, quote unquote, more faith in prayer than someone who's like maybe like a super pro-science would? Um, yeah, so if I get sick tomorrow, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray, um, not because I know something is going to happen, um, but because, um, I don't know that it won't happen. And in fact, we, we have a, um, you know, a large body of scientific literature that says, um, that we have uh, well, you know, we normally call it the placebo effect. People spontaneously heal um, when the, they are in a, you know, often in a case of like a authority figure, say a doctor prescribes them something, right? And then they spontaneously um, heal. And I would take that as an indication that um, people in general do have capacity for healing that extends beyond, um, you know, just the kind of like, um, you know, immediate effects of particular, particular medical interventions. I'm not saying anything supernatural, but we just have these healing capacities that we seem to be able to tap into when we are uh, given permission to by authority, by community, um, by people who love us. And so I, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for prayers and I'm going to hope that that has some positive effect on me and, uh, and others. At the same time, I'm uh, I'm definitely going to pursue all of the known scientific medical interventions to to deal with it, and um, because we you know we 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 know that um, that there is some kind of uh, you know unquantified thing which I just talked about. We also know there are quantified things we can do, right? And I want to do. Um, both. And of course, I want to do the quantified ones as well. Now, that's my personal, how I would navigate it personally, right? 
um, at the, the larger question is like, what is our society supposed to be doing when, when we see an outbreak, uh, right. you know, uh, of, of a new disease or whatever, what should we do? Well, I think if you're a religious person, you should pray and then you should, um, seek, uh, you, you should go to your church or, or, or whatever. And you should say, how can we intervene in this? And maybe one of the answers would be, we can help invest in, um, providing medical care to our community. Maybe the, one of the answers would be, we could invest in research to discover, um, potential cures. Maybe one of the things would be, we would better educate people on how to avoid, um, these diseases, that kind of thing. And so uh, I think historically this has been understood. Jesus calls his followers to heal the sick. Um, and, and for that reason, people have historically built hospitals. And so, um, you look around and there are hospitals all over the place called things like St. Thomas and St. Jude and St. Mary and so forth, right? Because there has been this tradition within the Christian faith of actually actively working on medical uh, care, medical research, and so forth as part of the outworking of our Christian faith. And that's what I believe in. You know, that's, that's interesting. Just a couple of days ago, I was listening to a podcast. It had a Harvard medical doctor on and uh, it was uh, Dak Shepard's podcast, Expert on Expert. Yeah, this, this, I forget the guy's name, but fascinating talk about. He, he's, this guy's looking into research that shows that uh, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's a, uh, there's a metabolical or metabolic problem uh, underlying a, a lot of mental illness. And he's, you know, has really fascinating evidence about uh, about this, like your mitochondria of all things, apparently has a lot to do with uh, depression and anxiety. It's not necessarily something in their brain. It's more like a diet thing at some level. Really fascinating. But like one thing he said is that, you know, if you have, I believe it was uh, seizures, um, fasting is a really great way to, to get past that. And he was saying that even like in the Bible, like we've known this for thousands and thousands of years, that, uh, Jesus one time said there was this girl who was having seizures, seizures, and he said, pray for her and also have her fast. So it mm -hmm. wasn't like just pray for her. It was, it was also like do this fasting thing because, and like, apparently that's even like modern medicine says that that's a good idea. Really fascinating. I, I mean, I would love to actually, you know, have a actual, you know, great debate about like a pro or con religion, that sort of thing. But I, I running short on time, I actually want to end on a uh, nice note where we totally agree. I think this is, this is really great. <laughs> you tweeted not too long ago, quote, my religion is a flourishing of life. I thought that that was just very well said. I think that that's something that, uh, you know, all people I think could get behind if you say that like my religion is a flourishing of life. That's very humanist of you. It also mm -hmm. is very Christian. Tell me a little bit more like where your mind was at when you wrote that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I do hope it is something that we can all agree on. And, um, and I think it's, we can think of it, you know, broadly as li life as a whole, right? Um, life as a whole, you know, the the ecosystem and and all potential life that that might emerge and and, and so on. Um, I think it matters. Like it, it has value. It has value in the cosmos, and we should uh, be looking at how we protect and cultivate. Um, life and how we actually help it expand. And so um, I, I think even if you don't 
place a lot of value on human beings. Some people don't. I think you should probably uh, think about um, the the antelope and the the uh, and the um, uh, you know all all of the other creatures that live here and think about how um, we can actually preserve and expand life. And that actually does, I think, require us to be transhumanists because the planet is doomed uh, if we don't actually engage in kind of long-term planning, long-term multi-planetary work. Um, And that's going to require that we expand beyond um, our current capacities in all kinds of ways, right? And I would say as, as a that this is sort of what we are here to do. We are the only creature in the ecosystem that can anticipate the far future, that can look for problems that are coming. If there's a killer asteroid tomorrow, we're going to be the ones that are going to have to figure out how to deflect it so that life survives. Um, And so, yeah, I think moving into taking up that kind of uh, responsibility and role and then steering towards a future where life continues to flourish and thrive at larger and larger scales. Um, I think that's what we should adopt. And if we do that, like I, I said, I, you know, I think that's going to um, require not only that we kind of become transhumanist, but also that we adopt some, some core values uh, about uh, relationship, ultimately about trust and cooperation and compassion and love. And I think if we have a future of uh, a vast, expanding, thriving ecosystem of compassionate, loving, caring life, I think that is, um, uh, you know, about as close to heaven as we can imagine. That's great. Yeah, I like that a lot. So tell everyone a little bit about what you're up to now and where they can find out more about you. Yeah, um, so christiantranshumanism.org, uh, which you uh, cited earlier, that's probably the, the main place where people should look for information on us. Um, we're trying to put more content up there, uh, some of which you've seen. We've also been exploring courses. We've uh, spent the last month um, doing kind of an in-depth course on some of this stuff. So we're working on uh, rolling some of that out. And uh, if you want to discuss that with a number of us, we have a pretty active Facebook community. You can just find it uh, through our website. Um, we also have a um, a bit of a Twitter presence, and I'm Micah Redding, and uh, uh, you can find some of my writings at micahredding.com. That's great. Well, Micah, thanks so much for coming on. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Peter. It was great to meet you.